now it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Welcome to the only show that doesn't care about ratings. Our sole purpose is to save souls, on purpose. Go to witnesstalkradio.org for more episodes and syndication options. Connect with the show on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Periscope, or by calling 513-900-8070. You're listening to Witness Radio. February 12th was Charles Darwin's birthday, but it's best known by evolutionists as Darwin Day, a day to celebrate and promote the theory of evolution. But many Christians are actually using this day to question the false claims of evolution and to share the truth of our origins from God's Word. It's Darwin Day. This is Ken Ham, and our full-size Noah's Ark is now well under construction and opening this year. Many evolutionists honor today as Darwin Day. Darwin was born on this day in 1809. How should Christians approach this day? Sadly, some Christians will celebrate it, but add that God used evolution. But this idea runs against what God's Word clearly states about creation, and it puts death and suffering before sin. Genesis is plain. God didn't use evolution. Other Christians will simply ignore this day, but others will use it as an opportunity to promote truth. That's the best approach. We can take something common to the culture, like Darwin Day, and use it as a starting point to talk about God our Creator and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In honor of Darwin Day, I decided to find some evidence. So, what you're about to hear is an interview with Robert, a follower of the religion of evolution, and I asked him if he could actually give me some observable evidence to back up his beliefs. Today we're on the campus, we're talking to people about Charles Darwin. I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but today is Darwin Day because it's the celebration of his birth. Uh, so are you guys Darwin followers? Do you, do you follow the, the theory of evolution and Charles Darwin and anything like that? Well, it's not so much, in my thoughts, it's not so much something that you follow, it's something that there's facts. I mean, to say it's followed is, you know, it's an opinion. Whereas if it's a fact and there's evidence to back it up, it's just something that is. Okay, and what about you, AC? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not something that there's much arguable evidence against, rather than there's belief against it. Okay. So. All right, well, in honor of Charles Darwin's birthday, I want you guys to do him proud. Give me your best evidence your best evidential argument for Darwinian evolution, okay? All right, you have two different types of evolution. You have the micro and the macro, large scale, small scale. And evidence of uh, microevolution, which further proves macroevolution, is we have dogs, Canis lupus, man's best friend. We have different breeds because they were selected by man as an, in an artificial form of evolution for different traits. I mean, a Shih Tzu and a Husky are both evolved from the same base form. Same thing works in nature, but instead of someone picking what, okay, I want you and you to breed to produce offspring that look like this, it's instead more geared towards you, you're going to survive and you're going to survive because you two can hunt better or camouflage better. If you can't provide for yourself, can't protect yourself, then you don't live to the age of breeding. Okay, so uh, what you were just describing was more of uh, adaptation or speciation, uh, which is more along the lines of microevolution, mm-hmm. uh, but what about macroevolution? You know, the, where they talk about uh, monkeys turning into man and stuff like that. Well, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just over a longer period of time. I mean, it's like uh, when you're 
when you're uh, using your gas card to save money at the pump and you, you're adding nickels and dimes to your bank account every time, add enough nickels and dimes and eventually get $1,000. Add enough of these little changes between, you know, for adaptation survival for this species and separate it a little bit or just change the conditions enough and it'll start adapting to the new conditions and look very little like the species it was before. Okay. Well, let me let me go back to your analogy with the nickels and dimes into $1,000. Okay. Uh, the way you described that, that would be more like adaptation. Nickel, nickels and dimes turns into $1,000, but it's still money. Would the nickels and dimes ever turn into fish without buying fish? Well, I mean, you, turn, you save your nickels and dimes, and you go to a different country, and suddenly it becomes yen. But it's still money. Are there transitional fossils? This is Ken Ham, president of Answers and Genesis and the Creation Museum. You know, the central idea of evolution is that all of the kinds of living creatures share a common ancestor. You see, evolutionists believe living creatures have all evolved from one another by random processes. Really, they believe that numerous small changes and variations, known as microevolution, led to the creatures we see today. But even evolutionists admit that they can't support this idea. In order for common ancestry to be true, there'd have to be an incredible number of transitional forms in the fossil record. And they'd have to show the numerous stages of evolution. But you know, evolutionists haven't been able to find any. And that's because there are no transitional forms. No, God's word is true. Answersingenesis.org it's still a currency. It's still a currency, but at the same time, you know, you take your, uh, use the most famous example, a T-Rex into a chicken. It's still a living creature. It just took a very long path over millions of years, many small changes that ended up being, turning into one big change. But is there any observable evidence for that? Or is that just theorized that that happened? Fossil records, mainly. I mean... You know, you th- everyone thinks of velociraptors. They're thinking of like the original Jurassic Park velociraptors, whereas we're finding new fossil records that say, "Hey, now we've got some better fossils." You know, the same bone structure and all that, but now they have these. Um, you know, we're we're showing signs of more some more softer tissues, and these kind of look a lot like the feathers we're getting from birds a few million years later. So, you know, what maybe velociraptors had feathers. And as more evidence comes up, the pictures of what things look like change. So, over the courses of millions of years, yes, it could very well become something completely different. Well, I got to. What was your name one more time? Robert. 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 I got to say, you're not convincing me that that the macro evolution uh, has taken place by by what you've uh, explained to me so far. You know, you're, you've used uh, some terms like maybe and, and possibly and stuff like that. Uh, but there's no hard evidence. You know, you say the fossil record, but, you know, I work at a place that, that has a lot of fossils. And I've not seen any fossils where it's, you know, half a chicken and half a T-Rex or anything like that. Well, that's because the the half theory, the hybrid theory, that's not how it works. That's assuming that you've got, you know, you take your T-Rex, it goes into something that's half chicken, half T-Rex, and then chicken. Instead of, here's a T-Rex, okay, here's a little bit smaller T-Rex, maybe got some feathers. Here's a little, another little bit smaller T-Rex, it's got some feathers. And it keeps going on like that for millions of years. Small changes adding up to make big changes. 
Archaeopteryx, appeared in the late Jurassic. This dinosaur had feathers and shared other features with both birds and reptiles. The existence of Archaeopteryx supports the theory that birds developed from reptiles, Aka dinosaurs. Well, I have this table here which shows you features which are reptilian and bird-like. And looking at that table, you think, wow, it's mostly reptilian, isn't it? So it's just got wonderful feathers. So fantastic example of a transitional form between reptiles and birds. Well, let's extend the table a bit and look in more some, some more detail about the, the uh, actual parameters here, uh, the traits they're looking at. The long tail. Actually, if you look at a chicken, of course, it doesn't have much of a tail, does it? Parsons' nose and all that. But um, there are birds with tails. Um, you know, the data, for example, has quite a significant bony tail. Uh, not as long as uh, Archaeopteryx, but, uh, but certainly there are birds with tails. Uh, so it's not particularly a dinosaur trait, uh, not necessarily. What about claws? Well, there are lots of birds with claws in their wings today at some stage during their lives. Ostriches, emus, hoatsons, uh, tiracos, moorhens, coots, all possess claws at some stage during their lives. So that's not really a reptilian trait. In fact, the, uh, the type of claws don't really fit the reptilian idea. Um, the keel down the, the breastbone where the muscles are attached. Well, there was a seventh specimen of Archaeopteryx found in 1992 which actually had a partial keel. It was just it was missing in the other ones. So that's not uh, a reason to say it's reptilian. Um, solid bones. No, sorry, studies have shown, in fact, that they aren't solid. They are, they are nematocised. They have, they, it's because birds have a lung system which permeates into their bones. Archaeopteryx has that too, and at least two, two bones that were examined. So that's not uh, on that list. What about the teeth? Well, birds today don't have teeth, but a lot, of, a lot of fossil birds had teeth. Are the teeth the sort of teeth which would make you think that came from a reptile? Because are they reptile-type teeth? Because they're supposed to come from theropods, things like T-Rex is a theropod, and what sort of teeth does a T-Rex have? Curved, serrated teeth. Are the teeth in... Archaeopteryx curved serrated teeth? No, they're peg-like, quite different to reptilian teeth. So that doesn't say it's reptilian. What about the wishbone? Yep, that's got a wishbone. What about the feathers? Yep, they've got really strong flying feathers. They're asymmetric. Also, the brain size, three times the size of a similar-sized reptile. Also, it has optic lobes, so the type of brain has a very large optic lobe, just like birds. Also, when you look at the balance organ in the ear, it's just like birds, not reptiles. The feet has a grasping hilux for grasping. It's a perching bird. The jaw. Reptiles have a jaw which can only open like that, like ours. You can't move the top jaw, it's fixed to your skull. Birds can move both. Archaeopteryx had a bird jaw. Now looking at the table, does it look reptilian or bird? Looks very bird-like, doesn't it? See, when you start to look at the detail, the story evaporates. In fact, one of the experts in birds, an evolutionist himself, said this. Paleontologists have tried to turn Archaeopteryx into an earthbound feathered dinosaur. It's exactly what this textbook tries to do. Viducha says, but it's not. It's a bird, a perching bird, and no amount of paleobabble is going to change that. 
And furthermore, Archaeopteryx, the dating of Archaeopteryx at 150 million years, I don't believe in any of these dates, but um, their own dating system puts it before any of its possible dinosaur ancestors. Bit of a problem. Imagine Jesus walking onto your local college campus. What would he say? Would he be like Matthew chapter 9, seeing the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. At Christian Collegiate Network, we are sending workers into the harvest. We are training students how to proclaim the glorious gospel. If you want to support our ministry at Christian Collegiate Network by becoming a campus leader or financially, go to changeyourcampus.com. Do we actually have any fossil evidence to show that actual transition period? Or is it we just have uh, species differentiation over here with the T-Rex and then species differentiation over here with the chicken, but there's nothing in between to show that actual transition? We actually have plenty in-betweens. I mean, to use a different example, you look at whales. We have fossil evidence of the ancestors of whales, four-legged mammals on land. They decided that, hey, we're going to go back in the water because we've got better odds of surviving there. So they they eventually adapted into be more amphibious and then said, hey, this water thing's pretty good. And we don't get preyed on by the big dinosaurs that are up here on land. So let's go hang out in the water. I mean, mammals and dinosaurs didn't really coexist all that for that very long. But as an example, the big land predators uh, weren't predating on them when they went back into the water. And since at the time when they came about, they were one of the bigger things that were in the water, it just made more sense uh, from an evolutionary standpoint for them to. The ones that could survive in the water better and were doing better than the ones that could survive on land better because less predation. And, you know, with that explanation, um, you know, there's a lot of, for lack of a better term, there's a lot of storytelling in that explanation. Is there any uh, observable evidence that you would have to uh, show that that actually took place? On my person, no, because, I mean, let's face it, millions of years of fossil record, my pockets just aren't that big. Right. You look in, um, you look in, uh, like, museums that specialize in evolutionary history. They'll have that, right? They'll have uh, the evidence. They'll have copies of the fossil record, pictures, if nothing else, of the fossils that have been found, because these fossils are being found all over the world, and they're not kept in just one lab in a central location. A lot of what we're, a lot of, you said that you're hearing a lot of maybes and all that, but that's also what science does, is we don't have the whole picture, but we think it might be like this. If it's not, okay, we change what it might be. The, the new evidence supports this more, so this is the story we're going with now. I mean, sci- science doesn't deal in absolutes. It, understand, it deals with what we know and understand. You go uh, a few hundred years ago, and the elements consisted of fire, water, air, earth. And now you talk about elements, people picture the periodic table. Because the science back then didn't have the ability to understand like we do now. And it's the same with, um, it's the same with all the sciences, especially evolution. Like I said, the Jurassic Park Velociraptors. At the time when Jurassic Park was made, look at pictures of all the dinosaurs, they're all big and scaly and don't look anything, don't, you know, just scales and teeth, that's about all they were. 
But now you look at the way they're being represented in newer works. And they slowly started to change because, you know, science, uh, archaeologists and all that are finding new fossil records, new bits of the fossil record to say, hey, we kind of support this theory now because we've got more, this is starting to get more evidence and the old one's evidence was misconstrued at the time because, you know, no one's there, no one was there to see it. So we're having to guess off of what is there. I mean, how are you going to know what color something is if you can't ever see it yourself? How do you, how do you describe, as an example, I realize that's a bit of a tangent, but how do you describe a color, how do you describe the color red to a blind person? So, I mean, you see them, you see all this stuff that they're doing with the dinosaurs, what everyone likes to quote is like the half Tyrannosaurus, half chicken thing. You see, how, you see how the dinosaurs, the depictions of dinosaurs are changing over time because we're understanding or finding more evidence as time goes on. The evolutionary record is not 100% complete. The fossil record's not 100% complete. There's gaps. But we can look, okay, we have the T-Rex going this way. We kind of lose track of it here at point A. And we don't have the chicken before point B. But if we look at these two fossils, okay, we can see where that could have turned into it because they've got a very similar bone structure. Okay. <clears throat> well, to uh, kind of finish things off here, because uh, I know you got to be getting cold with the wind picking up, I believe in, in a totally different idea. I believe in the Bible and that it says... We were created by God roughly 6,000 years ago. Uh, dinosaurs were day five. We were day six. So we were around the same time. Uh, that's essentially what I believe about the creation of the world and, and where we all got our start. So it totally different worldview from you. Now, both of us get our worldviews. You, the evolutionary worldview. Me, the biblical worldview. We get them from books. You from science books, textbooks, stuff like that. Me from the Bible. Now, science books and everything were, were written by man, and they're constantly changing, or to use a scientific term, they're constantly evolving to change the information. The Bible doesn't change. It has been true since, since it was written down, because it was written before the foundation of the earth, when God wrote it in heaven. Say that again? My mom's a pastor. It was written by man. Your mom should not be a pastor because that goes against the Bible, but it has not been written by men. It goes against the Catholic Church. No, it goes against the Bible in general. We're talking theologically. It was recorded by man, inspired by God. Uh, The the going theology has always been uh, um, written by man, inspired by God. Yes, it was penned down by men, but it was written by God. God inspired the men to put it onto paper. My, I would like to point out that, um, you know the children's game Telephone, right? You have, you have yeah, one I, I've heard the game. argument, yes. So you know that things can be misheard, misconstrued. Absolutely, but it hasn't been because we have the historical documents to, dis, to debunk that. Uh, the historicity of the Bible, uh, if you Google it, you'll see we have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that match and we can verify that what is in our Bible today is what was in the Bible 2,000 years ago. 
more or less, because let's not forget, we do have different versions. King James Version, the uh, Mormon Version, the Roman Catholic Version, the uh, Southern Baptist Version, the Pentecostal, the... Right. Basically, what what you're saying there is we have different versions. They say things a little differently, but the meaning is still the same. That That's the difference between the versions. They also all have different... Uh, I guess the proper term would be books, as uh, the Catholics don't recognize the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, whereas the Pentecostals do. Um... The Bible is. The Bible. Is, I'm talking about the the Protestant Bible, the 66 books of the canon. Even then, they don't all agree on it. I mean, the Bible. Is, the problem with. Well, here's one thing that they they should all agree on. If they don't agree on this, then they're not Christian. They all agree that Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind, whether it's lying, stealing, murder, whatever. And then he rose on the third day, defeating death, offering them eternal life and escape from hell. He says, if you repent, turn from your sinfulness, and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can go to heaven. But if you don't do that, then you go to hell. If they disagree on that point... They are not Christian. So I, w- I want to make sure that that, that is a, a dividing line there. So any, anyone that says they're Christian or follow Jesus, if they don't agree on that, they're not Christian. They're lying to you. Oh, I fully agree that they agree on that one point. But the rest of them, like the rest of the points in the Bible, there is each different version, each different um, denomination. Excuse me. Denomination has its own views on almost every book. They have their own interpretations of uh, the words written down in languages that we don't even speak anymore. The, as I was saying, the problem with um, using the Bible for any uh, to back up science or anything like that. The Bible is was written in the Bronze Age, back when people thought that lightning was caused by God being angry. We now know that it's basically just giant static electricity. It was ri- the religion was originally a tool for many things, but among them, it was a tool for helping man understand the world around him. Because let's face it, sky lights up at night, makes big scary spark in the sky, starts fire. Probably scary as hell if you're living in a cave and have no idea what the hell is going on. So you make up a story to, especially for the younger ones, to understand. Okay, yeah, that's just something that happens. You got to deal with it. It helps you understand it a little bit more. The well, now, I, I disagree with that. I think uh, we were a bit more knowledgeable back in the day. Uh, we may not have known exactly how lightning was created, but you know, we weren't Neanderthals like the evolutionary uh, timeline uh, purports. But <clears throat> the thing is, and, and I'll close with this is you believe in evolution because of what you were taught in your book. I believe in Jesus and God because of what I was taught in my book. Now, the evolutionary worldview, like you said earlier, does not uh, stick to absolutes. The Bible does. Which one is true? You cannot say yours is true based on your worldview because you cannot focus on absolutes. I can say mine is true because it is observable and it is testable. And here's how you can test it. Repent of your sin. Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. If you do that, okay, here's how you test it. If you do that, 
He will give you a new heart with new desires. He will change you from the inside out. You'll become born again. You'll be a new creature in Christ. That's what the Bible promises. So if, if you don't believe me, I understand. Not many people do believe me. But if you want to test it, like, like any good scientist would, if you want to test that hypothesis, that's what you need to do. Turn from sin, put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, and see if it's true. You're listening to Women's Radio. We need to always remember that people don't need evidence. They need the gospel. Can evidence be useful in your conversations? Sure, but the evidence will not save a person. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Don't get sidetracked. Stay focused on the goal of the gospel. As I always tell people, nobody ever got saved by losing an argument. Ohio Fire is coming to Columbus, Ohio, April 8th and 9th. Hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries, Ohio Fire will encourage and train Christians to mature in their faith and share the gospel with the lost. Hear Phil Johnson and Dr. Thomas White on the topic, the Word of God. And after the conference, you'll have a chance to hit the streets of Columbus with trained team leaders. Ohio Fire, April 8th and 9th. For details and to register, go to ohiofire.org. Ratings. We don't need no stupid ratings. You're listening to Witness Radio with Ryan Muriak. <coughs> but we like Ryan. <coughs> we do. Just go to witnesstalkradio.org. Have you ever heard this? Billions of years ago, there was an explosion in space. Or 100,000 years ago, this happened or that happened. Or even in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Question, how does anyone know? I mean, was anybody there to observe it? Well, actually somebody was, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Check this out. First of all, we need to recognize that there is a huge difference between observational science and historical science. Both are valuable, but very different. Let's define the two real quick, shall we? Observational science is simply when we observe something and experiment to draw conclusions. It involves repeatable experimentation and observations in the present. It's through observational science that we find cures for diseases and build space shuttles, stuff like that. Now, through historical science, we consider things that happened in the past, but they cannot be checked in the same way. I mean, we don't have access to the past like we do the present because, well, it's gone, right? All we really have is speculation, or at best, circumstantial evidences of past events based on what we see in the present. That's not to say that we can't make intelligent guesses about the past or form reasonable inferences from rocks or fossils in the present, but we certainly cannot directly test our conclusions because we cannot repeat the past. Got it? So, does that mean historical science is unimportant? Not at all. Let's drop an example down here for a minute and take a look at the Eiffel Tower. You know, that 19th century Parisian monument designed by Gustave Eiffel that stands 1,063 feet tall, which was built as the entrance for the 1889 World's Fair and is still the tallest building in Paris today, visited by millions of people each year? Yeah, that one. Well, guess what? Everything I just told you is true, but how do we test it? Well, applying observational science, we can, of course, observe the Eiffel Tower anytime we're in Paris. It's here in the present. Then, we can continue by testing the height and comparing it to all the other structures in Paris and confirm the claim that it is indeed the tallest building in Paris. But that's the extent of the kind of facts that can be proved by observational science in reference to this claim. How do we really know that Gustav designed it? How do we really know it was built in the 19th century as an entrance to the 1889 World's Fair? 
How do we really know how many people visited? That's all in the past. It can't be repeated. For that kind of information, we need to go outside the limits of observational science and discover what has been communicated to us through historical documents and eyewitness accounts. And furthermore, we have to believe those eyewitnesses and documents are trustworthy. The same is true when we talk about the origin of the Earth. The Earth is here. We all agree with that. So, does observational science confirm that the world was created by God, and are there trustworthy documents and eyewitness accounts that confirm it? Well, let's take the last part first. In short, what we're really asking is my original question, was anybody there to observe it? The answer is, yes. God was there, and he told us how he created. He inspired people to write down his very words that became books that were compiled into a complete book called the Bible, which has been verified over and over again and has demonstrated itself to be totally trustworthy in all it claims and teaches. Even secular scholars will concede that the Bible accurately records historical events. Anyway, we have the most trustworthy revelation from the most trustworthy eyewitness. Now, what about observational science? Does it confirm the Bible? Yes. And what's extremely important to realize is the observable fact that the universe is logical and orderly. That makes sense only if its creator is logical and has imposed order on his creation. It doesn't make sense at all if the universe is just an accident of a huge explosion. Also, our minds are able to comprehend many things about the universe. And that's only possible if the creator of the mind gave us the ability and desire to explore the universe. It doesn't make sense if our brains are byproducts of chance because we couldn't trust their conclusions to ever be accurate. And lastly, it only makes sense that we can observe and repeat an experiment if the universe consistently obeys the same laws from day to day, which only makes sense if a lawgiver created it that way and upholds it. So to be bluntly honest, science itself, whether observational or historical, is only possible because God exists and the Bible is true. I could go on, but enough said. If you enjoyed this episode of Witness Radio, please rate it and share the show with others. Until next time, the fields are ripe for the harvest. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and share the gospel. May God bless you. Witness Radio has been brought to you by the Muniac family.